Bloody good warm-ups. Bloody good warm-ups. All right, well, welcome to Under the Pendulum. I'm Chris Weber. Here as always is Heather Weber. Hello. And unfortunately, the life of an artist never rests peacefully. And Caitlin will not be joining us. So we'll be joining Because I murdered her and hid her body somewhere on the premises. Oh, no. The second half of this episode, they'll find her. Killer Emily Siebold from Everyday Lies Podcast. (laughs) Who will try not to laugh through my nose this time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I sound like Dick Dastardly's dog on the last episode. <laughs> you, do, like, you do do an awesome impression of him. I'll try really hard. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> Not too bad. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I like it. Nice. Thank you. Thank um, you. <laughs> oh boy. It's hard. It's really good. It's hard to get that high pitched wheeze with it. <laughs> It yes. is. Mm-hmm. It's why I took up smoking in the first place. <laughs> that was the only goal when I started up smoking. <laughs> yep, yep. I was like, how can I sound like Dick Dastardly's dog? Fucking met my goal. Well, mission you accomplished. Yeah, you know, we all have our uh, our own goals in life, you know? Shouldn't be ashamed of what your dream <laughs> is, you know? Go for your, go for you, your dream. God, you guys are such supportive friends. <laughs> Thank you. Mm. We try. Well, thank you. You know, attainable I goals. <laughs> yeah, attainable goals. That's, uh, so we, I guess we're doing a show. Um, so this. Oh, ep- yeah. oh yeah, that's right. We're it's doing. That's why show. you brought me to this dungeon. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, and just as a side note, if you do hear children in the background, um, we did not steal children and have them tied up. Um, they're just loud children in our neighborhood. Yeah. So, so loud. Don't be alarmed if you hear children screaming. It, yeah, it's not a. Well, that's they disappointing. Just do that. Yeah, some people might be disappointed. I mean, it might be a relief to other people. Uh, you know, who am I? It'd be on brand. Yeah, who am I to judge? You so know? on brand, yeah. Mm, I think so. <laughs> so, this episode will be the first in a running series which we call Creature Feature, where we will talk <laughs> about... <laughs> um, and we will talk about some of the lesser known and some familiar monsters, cryptids, and strange creatures from around the world and through history. So, for our first Creature yes. Feature... We will be putting the succubus under the pendulum. Sweet. Happy to be here. <laughs> Hashtag my feminism. <laughs> and you're, you're right to suck bus. That's right. That's right. And the bus driver's <laughs> always like, stop sucking my bus. <laughs> Sorry. That is such a great visual. I know. It's, it's <laughs> disturbing. I think I've seen somebody do that. In my mind, it's Chris Farley. Yeah, right? Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry. That's a clear choice. So to give a quick rundown, um, the succubus is the female counterpart to the incubus, which is generally just a spirit, demon, or sometimes a creature that preys on the energy of their victim, usually through sexual means and usually through their victim's dreams. Insert ex-girlfriend joke. (laughs) <laughs> Am I right, guys? <laughs> That's what she said. Oh, God. <laughs> so they are also said to sometimes procreate with humans, often having blasphemous offspring in the process. Also insert Ew. ex-wife joke. Yeah. 
<laughs> yep, yep. We'll just leave them for you to do. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I can't do all the work for you. <laughs> That's true. So in medieval belief, and even into the Enlightenment, witches, abominations, and demons are born from these unholy communions. And while the incubus and succubus were used to explain things like nightmares, sleep paralysis, unvirtuous dreams, and even nocturnal emissions, uh, they come <laughs> they come in many different forms and with different characteristics. I mean, that's just kind of like the best thing you want, right? It's like you're a young kid, you, you cream your pants in the night, and your mom's like, what's this? Uh, it's a succubus. It's a demon. <laughs> it's nice. Well, I have, have, sl- I have sleep paralysis, so, you know... Uh, you think you're seeing a succubus in the corner. That's for sure. I can see where that comes from. Yeah. I mean, there's, um, you know, as we'll get into, you'll, we'll kind of see how it all kind of ties together. And, you know, it, it's just like with anything, with all myths and legends, they all kind of evolve and change through time. And that's basically what we're going to see yeah. on this episode. For so sure. you may notice throughout this episode that some of the figures we'll be talking about sound more like vampires than true to definition succubi which is the plural, or succubuses. I looked it up. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Succub- Thank you. Succubuses. 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 And some of you uh. might be tempted to argue that some of these figures are, in fact, vampires and not succubi. 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 But just as I previously stated, um, over time the figure of the succubus will evolve and change just as all legends, myths and folklore do. Um, it just organically changes and morphs um, through time, especially if it starts with the oral storytelling tradition. You know, it's just, it's, it's always that game of telephone. You always keep the core, but it's always going to change slightly. And that's just sort of organically how these things happen. So we'll definitely right. see how that yeah. kind of morphs and transforms over time. Yeah. And doing a lot of this research, there is definitely, Lots of different iterations of, um, you know, origin stories of these succubus. Succubi. <laughs> Succubuses. So. <laughs> Succubison. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for instance, uh, where they were once essentially just terrifying night demons, um, often sporting an animal-like appendage or some other deformity, they began to morph into, like, beautiful temptresses who could now reach their victims beyond the realm of sleep. But they always kind of share these core similarities um you know which will become very apparent um as we do these profiles yeah because they didn't want to admit that like this this chick with the arm of a wildebeest jacked me off in the night yep it's it's it sounds like uh yeah it sounds like um one night stand shame you know (laughs) yeah ancient one night stand Yeah. yeah that seems pretty metal though i don't know I had sex with her because she made me, not because I wanted to. She's a witch. <laughs> hey, bruh. Hey, bruh. You, you, you ever been jacked off by a chick with hooves? It hurt. Bruh. <laughs> it hurt real bad. It's the best, though. <laughs> I mean, the blood from your dick kind of works like lube. Right? Wow. Oh. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> Back in a way, Yeah. <laughs> So uh, I'll kind of just give a little a little more background before we actually get into some actual profiles. So we get the actual term succubus from the late medieval, kind of early Renaissance Latin, succuba, succuba, 
which is basically uh, just means paramour. And that's sort of an alteration of the uh, sukuba, which is to lie under. So it's kind of like a prostitute, basically. Mm. I guess we could say it a lot oh. of ways. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of what you would think. It's a, it's a paramour, and then it's also an alteration of of the word to lie under. So it's kind of like so it's always yeah. had roots in misogyny. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and we'll and we'll definitely <laughs> see how that plays in, um, it, it, particularly in uh, particularly in uh, literary theory, which you know when you're studying folklore and stuff is sort of what you look at these through the lens of. Besides, um, you know, obviously anthropology and stuff like that. Um, because you know these these little motifs and um, things that we see crop up, you know, it really kind of shows a reflection of like how humanity thinks about certain things or how we, um, you know, take action. Or never on stopped thinking about things. Yeah. Or yeah. Or just didn't let it go. <laughs> this is like this. Yeah. This is a real old joke, and you kind of just told us how old. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> 2000 BC old. <laughs> Fuck. Yep. So, you know, though this term first shows up in the 14th century, uh, succubus, um, you know, as we kind of alluded to, the idea of the succubus is much older. So the main theme we see among succubi is the draining of something, uh, whether it be sexual energy, one's vitality, spiritual energy, or even flesh and blood. Uh, the idea is that virtuosity is tainted or drained, leaving the host a spiritual husk, or sometimes an actual husk. Um, oh. Another motif we'll see is the dangers of a human being entering into uh, communion, marriage, or intercourse with the supernatural, um, or with the supernatural being. Many times, succubi are associated in some way with Lilith, the first wife of Adam, but we'll get to that later. So in this episode, we'll explore some profiles of the succubus and their associated counterparts. As always, we'll look at the similarities between them, their differences, and how the succubus reflects our universal fears. Woo! <laughs> I think you mean... <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think, Heather, you got the first one. Yes. Um, so this one is La Siguapa. She is a Dominican mythical creature that is a succubus of sorts, but she's often compared to a mermaid, beautiful to some and terrifying to others with the powers of seduction. Mm -hmm. Her skin is said to be either a dark blue or brown color, and she's naked but for long, silky black hair that flows around her like a dress. Her most notable feature is her backwards-turned feet that are turned this way to confuse those that try to track her. So like, is she like imagine? a sexy cousin it? Yeah, kind of. Um, I mean, <laughs> I like when I was first blue. looking into it, I was like, is is she like a is she like a yeti? But no, it's like her long hair that like it always covers her boobs and her butt and everything. So. Oh, all the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and as to the allure. That's true. Yeah, it's supposed to be sexier if it's covered up. Sure. That's true. Yeah, I mean, if it's just all out there, it's just <laughs> nothing to the imagination. How very Ferengi of you. Thank you. How can I capitalize on this? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, La Siguapa comes out after dark and awaits crossing travelers to charm and lure them to her lair. In some versions, she devours her poor victims whole. In others, she steals a passionate kiss from the man and draws his breath from him. She does not speak, but chirps, whispers. Or softly whines. You never take out the trash. You never did laundry. <laughs> Sorry. 
That's a dad joke. That's yeah. good, good old fashioned dad joke. That is so dad joke. I think they're thinking more like a like a a dog whine or something like a. It's actually really that's like really scary. You know, yeah, that's like creepy. if you. Um, I know. Yeah, yeah. I was looking on YouTube like about if they had short videos about it, and I saw the student film that they made, and it was absolutely hilarious. We'll have to link to it. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> They had like this plastic skeleton like laying on the ground. It was the dude's son that got attacked. Anyway, I'll have to make it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love a student film. It was, it was great. Yeah. Which had a fishing knife. <laughs> yeah, I had a real fishing knife. <laughs> it was Eileen Warnos. <laughs> she would do a sloppy job. She wouldn't be, she wouldn't do it pristinely. No? No, I don't think so. You're the expert, oh. spooky boy. You all know, right. it, all the meth. Yeah, How your hands, she? hands get shaky. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> you, you, you're very, like, particular. You know? Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very, very. That's yeah. true. <laughs> into the repetition. Well, the world will never know, I guess. That's probably good. Or will they? No. Or will they? <laughs> Tonight on Unsolved So Legend Mysteries. tells us... <laughs> Sorry, God. <laughs> Legend tells us that the only way to capture La Ciguapa is to go into the night on a full moon with a black and white dog that has extra toes on his paws. Well, that's, that's hard. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how common that is for like an extra appendage, but uh, that seems like it might be, you know, not an easy remedy to a curse or, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's a certain term for it. I don't remember what it was. But anywho, something to ponder. Certainly. (laughs) Um, Interestingly, La Ciguapa may be the symbolic invention of an influential author and journalist rather than long-rooted local lore. The first written account of La Ciguapa appears in Francisco Javier Angulo Garidi's novella La Ciguapa. (laughs) Thank you. you. So I found a really amazing article um, by Janetta Candelario. It was written in 2016 called La Ciguapa y el Ciguapeo, Dominican Myth, Metaphor, and Method. And she has this to say. Garidi was explicitly invested in narrating and influencing the course of history, society, culture, and politics in the Dominican Republic after it split from Haiti. And in the context of building sentiment in favor of sovereignty and abolition in the Hispanic Caribbean. Perhaps the most important thread in Angulo Garidi's biographical tapestry, however, is that he is considered a founding father of indigenism in the Dominican Republic. By 1884, when Garidi died, the mythical Suguapa had entered the national folklore as if she were part of the island's indigenous cultural legacy rather than the invention of a nationalist navigating the Dominican Republic's contradictory racial demographics, political economy, and geopolitics. Woo, I did it. Nice. <laughs> 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 yeah, dude. Reading, uh, that sounds like a really interesting paper. Um, it is. But it's like it's kind of what we talked about last time uh, in the St. Augustine episode, is how we can anthropologically look at these legends and myths. You know, it's, it really... If you can look at it and really dissect it, you can really learn a lot about like things that maybe you don't get to find in physical settings. Uh, does that uh, right. you're, you're, you are the that's anthropologist? Really, yeah, that's that. No, that's a really interesting point. 
there's a lot you could unpack from that and metaphor alone, like that her feet are turned backwards, that her hair covers her, that... You know, most private of parts, I guess. Yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack out of that. It could be like, I mean, not like just not knowing what it is. It could be a symbol for the jungle covering, you know, the sacredness of the land. Um or it could, could be it could be uh, a self preservation of the backward feet really get me as like yeah. a sim- as like a, a symbol of a a pathway back to indigenous ways since you brought up that he was like a pro indigenous nationalist yeah well i was thinking like you talk about the hair too it, it, you could also read that as um a covering of the virtuosity of the culture um from yeah. I, I guess i guess we'd call like kind of a a colonial Yeah, and if she is the land and that, you know, the hair could be the jungle, Mm -hmm. it's all a good natural metaphor. Yeah. I mean, I don't know anything about the backstory, so it's hard to take that out. But the backward feet, that's... That's really interesting that you guys are are coming up with these points because the next excerpt uh, actually addresses this. So uh Candelario goes on to explain the symbolic physical features of La Ciguapa and what this means in the societal and political climate of the Dominican Republic. With backward-pointing feet, offering a built-in mechanism for misleading those who follow, pursue, or attempt to grasp her, the Ciguapa signals that Dominican social facts are often two opposite things at once, progreso, progress, and regreso, return, a con, tradition, contradiction with within tradition, and a contradiction against encounter-diction. The Suguapa can be understood as embodying the simultaneously progressive and regressive sovereignty strategy and regressive sovereignty strategies and sentiments of a people whose ancestors were both colonizers and colonized, enslavers and enslaved, migrants and native-born, navigating landscapes ruled by codilos, codilos, I think, Sorry for butchering the words. Yeah, it's going to happen a lot of this episode. <laughs> Navigating landscapes ruled by caudillos jostling for personal power in a nation born beneath the United States. Yeah, that's pretty much what uh, what I was thinking with Expected. that. Yeah. But it's, <laughs> it's funny to tie it up into um, almost kind of like a demonic um, entity. You know, it's it's, you know, when we think about something that represents like the best qualities of a culture, you always think that we're going to tie it up into the heroes of, of our mythology and our legends and our folklore. It's it's almost kind of counterintuitive to tie it up into a um, almost fearful figure, like like one hey, that's one almost like a bogeyman. One man's monster is another man's deity. That's very true. Um, yeah. That's true. I was just going to, you know, Catholicism is very much based in fear mongering. Yeah, that's you true. Know, to make you behave. Yeah, it's that um kind of like uh, yeah. Stockholm syndrome, I guess. It's like love your Christianity. Love your uh yeah, judge and executioner, based. you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so her article, as I mentioned before, is absolutely fantastic and there is so much that I didn't cover in it. And I really encourage you to go read it for yourself. Yeah, it's, I'm I'm gonna check it out. It that was, sounds really cool. Yeah. There is a lot more that I didn't even mention here. But um, the point I'm trying to make is that even though La Ciguapa is now a true mythical being rooted in Dominican lore, she is like 
short films and songs written about her. Uh, there was even a TV miniseries made about her in 1997, which I totally want to watch. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there is something to be said about how the state of a nation can create a supernatural being that not only symbolizes turmoil, but personifies it as a creature to fear. Mm-hmm. What is that noise? <laughs> that, <laughs> that is, is children. children howling at eight oh, o'clock. Okay. The neighbor kids will be oh, howling for about okay. the next ten minutes. Yeah. Usually, I join them. <laughs> Usually, they'll cut off in here in a couple of minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Um, if indigenous people are asked, many will usually insist that there has always been a La Ciguapa, long before Garidi's novel. She parallels many other tales, like Central America's Shina, <laughs> like Central America's Shihuanaba or Venezuela's La Siona. However, her tale originated, or whether she has been seen or not. She is now a mainstay in Dominican lore, interwoven into the tales that mothers and fathers tell their sons to keep them close at night. But remember, if you see La Ciguapa, never look in her eyes, or she will bewitch you. Uh, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, I, I think this is a really good first profile to do because... You just basically laid out a lot of motifs and characteristics that we're, we are going to see throughout all these profiles. And it's not only the, you know, the physical and story characteristics that we're going to see, but it's like also the cultural ones. Right. You know, I don't want to, I'm not going to give away too much. But. Yeah. I, I He did it well, invented, uh, well, like used a lot of cultural symbolism to invent a monster to teach a lesson. Mm-hmm. It's kind. Of, it's pretty yeah. interesting. He like, they're like, oh no, it it always existed, probably because it always existed without having a name. And then he yeah. was like, oh, I have the monster for you. Yeah, I mean, or it could also be, you know, one thing that I I think we'll definitely see is is you know we'll never know how far back some of these figures will go because you know like obviously we were said they they morph and they evolve, but um. You know, how far back does oral story, oral storytelling go? You know, how far back do these figures actually go um, before they were actually written down and defined by somebody in liter- literary I'd terms? I'd be surprised if humans w- weren't, like, fully using language by, I mean, like, 500,000 years ago. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I would be surprised. I think, you know, more mainstream would put it, like... 200 to 100,000 years ago. That's yeah, that's insane. So it's like you could possibly have some you know core version of these stories, you know, going back, you know, I mean really god knows how long. I mean that's and that's really interesting about these. It's, you know, we kind of have these defined I guess like these defined profiles of them now were like these defined definitions, but back then it was a lot more loose. But we'll kind of see it's like a spirit in a lot of ways. And that's what vampires used to be, too. They used to be kind of like spirit entities. And I'll get to my theory uh, towards the end of the episode. But we're also used to canon that is very literal and very set in stone. And in other types of religion, it's just not that way. Mm -hmm. They're very uh, they're, they're malleable. You know, families themselves will have their own type of stories that basically go in with with the mainstream lore and then take a left turn to whatever your uncle wanted it to be you know <laughs> i put right. awesome tits on her <laughs> <laughs> and a nascar <laughs> tattoo on her back hell yeah america <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that's like some somebody's freaky backwards fate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, somebody's like redneck Catholic uncle's description of Lilith. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just right. stuff, stuff. <laughs> folklore. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was that's a really that was a really great first one though. I think it really um, illustrates a lot of what we're gonna see. Yeah, um, and then we'll kind of dive into a little deeper. Uh, so. And I, I do apologize. I'm I did really try on these pronunciations for this episode, but you know, it's got, I'm gonna fuck up a lot. Of I'm, shit. I'm with you. I'm just I'm just gonna <laughs> just lay it out there right there. You know, I'm not I'm not. Green. It's okay, Americans. <laughs> they they know we only yeah, speak one do? language. So <laughs> <laughs> the next one is gonna be from ancient Greek myth, and it is the Abuza. It looks like it's spelled Empuza, but I guess it's Embuza. Abuza. Anyway. <laughs> Works for me. Yep, sure. So we get the first <laughs> mentions of the Abuza from the Athenian playwright uh, Aristophanes. So he wrote many comedies and plays between the 5th and 4th century BC. In and... which cat was he in cats? <laughs> <laughs> Aristophanes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well. okay. I'm not going to start singing. I'm not oh. going to start singing it. They're both going to start singing. <laughs> it's... Uh, I... Kale's been doing it for the last couple days, man. He's been doing this shit for weeks. Oh, well, I never <laughs> was there ever a playwright so clever as Aristotle. And this is why I can't sleep at night. Yeah, I do that to her ear <laughs> while she's trying to sleep. <laughs> oh, man. So anyway. Yeah, he's very upset with me. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I can't sleep. I'll take Matt's I can't over eat. the 80s ballads he's always drumming up. He'll be like in his clothes in the shower <laughs> in a fetal position. I am a jellical cat. I am a jellical cat. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. I've been sitting with it for 25 years. <laughs> I don't feel bad for you. <laughs> Welcome to my nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> So, in one of Aristophanes' plays called Frogs, he mentions a succubus uh, kind of vampire-like demigod. Play about singing frogs that introduce themselves. <laughs> Hippity hoppity skank. Jellical frog, frog, jellical frog, frog, jellical frog. That's the whole movie. Yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh. so in the play, uh, the Epuza is described as a terrifying apparition that kind of flies around and it frightens uh, Dionysus and his servant slash slave uh, Xanthius. Kind of the idea of the play is um, Dionysus wants to go down to Hades to uh, recover to to bring back looking this for poet a soul to steal. Uh, yeah, looking for <laughs> a soul to steal. Um, no, he's trying to bring back this poet, and but. In the play, Dionysus is an idiot, um, and his slave, Xanthius. Uh, uh, yeah, is, I can picture this. Yeah, he's, just he's drunk. As he's fuck. more courageous, and he's a lot smarter than yeah, Dionysus. Goes yeah. down to hate. He's like, hey, yeah, I was the poet. <laughs> well, the, the, com- the comedy of the joke I love. <laughs> so the comedy of the play, though, is that like Xanthius um, can't let. Dionysus know how bad of a god he is, so he's always trying to cover for him and be like, "It's it's oh, actually man. it's basically like uh, the Green Hornet in a lot of ways." Okay. <laughs> so anyway, they go they go down to the underworld, and um, you know they run into this this figure, the uh, Abuza, and um, it it scares 
Dionysus, and you know they're just like ah, oh, then it flies away. <laughs> so that's one of the earliest mentions of that thing. But uh, in other versions, the next morning he's just found at the front gates, drunk with the six-headed dog. <laughs> Did you see that? Did you see that? The dog is like in his face. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that? <laughs> so other versions of the Abuza um, describe. Describe it as a beautiful woman who seduces young men to bed. And when they are asleep... Yeah, I'm sure it took a lot. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not a goat, so that's a step up. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, she entices them to bed and sleeps with them. And then when they are asleep, she drinks their blood and feasts on their flesh. Uh, so basically just waits till they're asleep. Um, you kind of see where this is the going. The praying mantis of the human world. Exactly. Yep, yep. I'm uh, I'm team nice. succubi in this episode. I think I'm fully. <laughs> this this team is definitely going to be a girl power episode. I think. Oh fuck you, <laughs> girl power, girl power. <laughs> so anyway, um, <laughs> in her human form, uh, she's said to have flaming hair and one leg made out of bronze. And sometimes for the pagan. Yeah. For- <laughs> <laughs> she unscrews in this giant dildo. She washes it in the dishwasher. Yeah, yeah. It's, oh, it's okay, my good. Broad City it's fans will get that joke. <laughs> so um, sometimes to go along with this bronze leg is the leg of an ass. Just to add more to the kind of deformity <laughs> uh, thing. Yeah. So I'd want to fuck that. <laughs> Right? Am I right, oh, guys? Yeah. Is that, wait, is that like, yeah. what is that old world speak for dad ass, though? No. Well, actually, because no. I read, no. a, I read <laughs> another like thing donkey. where they but said they it was. They mean it's a donkey. <laughs> They're like, dad ass, though. You know, you know what I'm saying? She's not the prettiest, but her knees are basically an asshole. So that's pretty sweet. <laughs> sweet Jesus. Oh, God. <laughs> so glad I An- didn't have to, like, be in a locker room with dudes as a teenager. <laughs> so a more normal version <laughs> is that she just has on bronze sandals. So that's a little, you know. That's well, the kid's bop nice. version? Yeah, that's the, that's the kid bop's fucking rendition. <laughs> okay. So, but in her true form, though, uh, she said to kind of look like an old hag, uh, which is a really famous literary trope. It's it's sort of the, the, the character oh, we of the know. old hag. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I don't think those earlier imagery elements would really work in the long term you know yep yep not really buying into it all that much (laughs) (laughs) so the uh, abuza is similar to a spirit called a mormo uh which is sort of the ancient greek version of the boogeyman uh parents would invoke yeah scary (laughs) parents would invoke the mormo to scare their children uh i'm picturing a mormon yeti (laughs) You know, as I was looking at it, Mormon, they're Just like, trying to give do me you the mean Mormon? Latter-day Saints. Yeah. And I was like, no, I don't mean Mormon. Stop asking me, Google. He I want was, Momo. He was the first youth they set out on his like mission and he just never came back and his hair kept growing. <laughs> Mormo. <laughs> yep. This is our Mormo. prophet. <laughs> so um, you can st- he doesn't have a white shirt anymore, but you can still see that elder tag. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, but, you know, this idea was mentioned by uh, Anna Comnene, um in her biographical account of her father, Alexios I, who was the emperor of the uh, Byzantine Empire in the 11th and 12th century. And she kind of writes about it, you know, hearing it when she was a kid. So, I mean, it's just, it, it, you know, it didn't only 
start and end in ancient Greece, it went far beyond into the Middle Ages. Um, yeah, it got mm-hmm. to Missouri. <laughs> yeah, there's a Yeti. There's a Yeti story of Missouri. It's called Momo. Try oh, really? to tell me that yes, that is I, not connected. Oh, I've been on the that. internet long enough to know that that is connected. <laughs> so yeah, and you <laughs> know, sound alike. And parents would tell their kids that the Mormo would, you know, bite them in their sleep or or you know, like eats little children for being bad. You know, so got wow. you know you imagine like some old God, you I know look creature to the day where the neighbors tell people tell their kids that I'll eat them. I look forward to that day. <laughs> Old Lady Seabold up on the hill up there. You better be careful. She'll eat you. And then I just have a sign in my window that says, I'll eat you. <laughs> it's true. So the Apuza and um, the Mormo, they're both tied to the uh, goddess uh, Ekati. Uh, which- Hecate. 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 It's not Hecate. Hecate. I've heard it Hecate. pronounced all the way. Yeah, I've heard it. Uh, yeah. Hecate is what I I'm going to call her Hecate, and she is holding a Tecate. Hecate, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can I say Hecate? Hecate. I like that. Hecate. <laughs> so, yeah, they're both tied it to that god. It makes me picture Hecat, but it's a cat named Kate. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, no. they're both tied to that goddess, um, and she's... She's the patron goddess of magic, witchcraft, ghosts, the moon, night. I mean, everything that kind of represents the darker side. Goddess of, of woo. Yeah, <laughs> the goth goddess. <laughs> but uh, Hecate was, uh, she'd be accompanied by different spirits and furies, and one of them being the Abuza, also with another spirit called uh, Lamia, which are basically just kind of the same as Abuza's. They're just a little different iteration. Um, and I've read that the Abuza was supposed to be the daughter of uh, Ikati, but uh, I've also read that it was just a malevolent spirit. So it's, you know, again, we're, we're just kind of seeing these different variations on the same myth. Right, right, right. That's weird. Lamia comes up later in one of mine. Oh, does it? Okay, cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll let you explain that a little more then. In a more Romanized version, which kind of shows you it, it you know, turned into a, a Roman thing too. Um, she's not a demigoddess, but she's a spirit that just feeds on travelers at night. They're also said to have shape-shifting abilities, turning into different kinds of animals like an owl, a bull, or a dog. That's so common with succubi. Oh, yeah, yeah. We get the succubus angle a little later when certain interpretations associate the abuza with uh, kind of nocturnal spirits and demons you know, that kind of feed on these young men while they're, while they, while they're asleep, um, and it sucks out their life force. In any case- Talking about recurring themes here. Yeah, no, yeah, Jeez. we're, yeah, we're going to see them a lot. They're all the same, it seems like. Yeah, and- I, mean, I was just mad at my business, being a, being a good look boy, and then this woman sent her spirit <laughs> on is, me. It is, it is. Give me, <laughs> give me- Nocturnal missions. Yeah, I mean, when we see more, <laughs> when we see a more Christianized version of these stories, it's going to really reflect that, like, women are the down. Do not let the women seduce you from your your you know virtuous manly like you know. It's just it's yeah, just, that's some incel shit. Yeah, it is. It's, it's the downfall of man because of dirty, nasty ladies who are just they're too they're too sexy. Oh no, I don't want that now. <laughs> Yeah, all yeah, their it's, faults. Uh, yeah, it's this motif of preying on young men while they sleep and using sexuality to weaken them. Um, <laughs> you know, and that's that just makes them women become these symbols of like sexual deviancy. You know, and and we'll see that trope played Cue out a the lot Frollo more. Clip. Yeah. <laughs> You'll see it really gear up in the Middle Ages. You know. <laughs> oh God. So yeah, that's what I got um, for okay. the Ambuza. 
Yeah, I don't have a cool story to read, but yeah. Oh, that's okay. There, there isn't always one. Um, so I'm gonna go to uh, Samodiva. I, I'm not sure if that's how you say it, but uh, it's the South and West Slavic folklore. So Samodiva are not quite the traditional sort of succubus, but they certainly suck the life from poor hapless men. Yeah, they do. Oh, of course. <laughs> oh, I'm just a soft, supple boy. Oh, I'm just all out here alone. Oh, these women just happened to me. I was just praying, and then all of a sudden the titties were all over me. Anyway, sorry, go on. <laughs> That's all right. That's why they make themselves seem, you know. That's how it it's goes like, down, well, you know. I was praying, and then all of a sudden, they just pulled out my penis, and I couldn't do anything. Stop them. That's em. how the shit goes down every time. I know. And that's right. So culture. Samadiva, are, uh, they are nymph or fairy-like beings that originate in Balkan and Bulgarian folklore. Samo means alone, while diva means wild. Wild alone. Ooh. They are described as tall, blonde, fair-skinned women with piercing blue eyes, and they never age. As with Lucky. most succubi, I know. <laughs> as with most succubi, their beauty draws in their victim, and devastation will certainly follow. Because of those women. My mind goes straight to Tommy <laughs> Laren, and I wonder if she knows she's gonna look like uh, oh, what's her face, the other chick, the scary one. Who's the person you're talking about? <sighs> Uh, she worked for Trump. She, you, Kelly, Kelly Ann Conway. Oh yeah, like yeah, yeah. like Tommy uh, Laren is the is the like the succubus at the beginning, and Kelly Ann Conway is the end result. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tommy, Tommy is her name, right? Tommy, really? I think it's Tommy. I think so. T O M I. I don't. Listen to her, so I'm not gonna learn her name, <laughs> that's for sure. She is I, a sexual deviant. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about anyway, so don't worry about it. <laughs> I, I really don't. don't. Think, I don't think any of us have ever turned on Fox News to watch it. Nope. No, God, no. no. Nope. <laughs> Five minute laugh, um, and then, oh God, I must go. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> So there are several there are several iterations of Samadivi origin stories. Diva can too be translated as divine, which supports the first origin story. Do you hear that, everybody? I'm divine. Oh, get out of here. I'm a diva, oh, darling. Mm, look out, I'm divine. I don't know if you heard. Mm. <laughs> so they are believed to be the daughters of Bendis. The Thracian goddess of the moon and hunt, much like the Greek version of Artemis. Oh, okay. One other story describes Samadivi as being the spirits of corrupt women stuck in purgatory between heaven and hell. Because they're so dirty. <laughs> Others believe they are the children of the Lamia, an evil Bulgarian folklore creature that resembles a dragon with three to nine heads that are like dogs' heads with sharp teeth. That is not what I read. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it's different in Bulgarian folklore well, than I it mean, is. Well, it's like we kind of saw with the Romanized version of the Abuza. It's, um, you know, these cultures, they come in contact with other cultures, you know, through, you know, especially ancient times, trade and stuff. And you learn these folk stories and sometimes other cultures adopt them and kind of do their own spin on that. We'll, we'll see that happen oh, yeah. all the time. It's, it's just, yeah. you know, you take something that you encountered and... 
you know, maybe it's close to something that you already believed or it's just something new. And then, it, yeah, it just everything gets recycled. Yeah, you know? tale as old as time. Yeah, just exactly. keep using what they already believe, change mm -hmm. the names, right. tweak the story, make it what you want. Yeah, Jesus, so this, La this Lamia is like a lot cooler than what I read. Yeah, it's a big old dragon thing. Fuck yeah. I mean, there's different descriptions of the Lamia in this story, but... Um, this one was definitely the coolest, so that's what I went with. Fuck okay. yeah. I mean, like I said, you do all the research and it's there's just different variations of all these stories. So Yeah. You know, try to go with the most uh frequently mentioned attributes. Yeah, it was actually it was a very As you do. Yeah, it was a tricky episode to research because you might find the same thing, but you get a lot of conflicting you know, descriptions and things like that. Um, it, yeah, yeah. It, it was it was a, it was a tougher one than I thought it was gonna be. You know, what yeah, I mean? same yeah. here. Well, back to the Samadivi. Hmm. They often dance, starting at midnight and going till dawn. Woo! <laughs> Party girls, <laughs> yes, Raven. let's go dancing. Yeah, let's take some ecstasy. Um, woo! <laughs> <laughs> woo! <laughs> Some tales say that they dance to the rhythm of the wind and their own singing. Others say they most enjoy the accompaniment of a caval or shepherd's pipe. Oh, that's not a euphemism. <laughs> I didn't even think about that until shepherd's pipe came out of my mouth this time. <laughs> In order to have the young man play for them, they'd need to capture or seduce him. For the lost or late travelers that stumble upon their dance... The Samodivi will either invite or lure the man in to join in the dance. Once he was pulled in, he would be unable to keep up with the supernatural speed and stamina of the Samodivi and would eventually die of exhaustion. Mm. It's brutal, man. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely sounds like someone who came too fast and uh, had to tell a story about it. It wasn't their <laughs> fault. <laughs> Even I was, played my pipe for her and everything. You know, I was exhausted from dancing all night with her, and then um, it was cold. It was cold. So, you know, I mean, just, <laughs> it's not what you think, I swear. Don't listen to what she says. Yeah. She's a slut. <laughs> a slut? <laughs> She's a slut. An absolute. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, <laughs> So Samadivi wear long white gowns made of moonbeams with green or rainbow-colored belts, and they wear a crown of flowers. So it's Bonnaroo. Do you know how hard it is to weave moonbeams? <laughs> Fucking hard. I, I can only imagine. Do they even make a spindle for that? Yeah, it's hard enough to lasso <laughs> down the moon. I mean... Yeah, Mary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if a Samadiva were ever to have her gown stolen from her, she would lose her powers until she was able to find it and take it back. And be super fucking pissed. <laughs> and cold. Mm -hmm. And cold, yeah. <laughs> so uh, next, um, there's a pretty lengthy excerpt from a popular tale called The Samadiva and the Shepherd. But I think it really, you know, shows kind of the spirit of the Samadiva and what she's all about. Nice. So here's an excerpt from this story. I got this from youexpress.com. Ivelio could hear the sound of a flute's eerie notes that seemed to draw the woman in, and as the tempo grew faster, the woman kept pace, dancing through the grass, twisting and twirling. This seemed to go on for hours. 
(laughs) (laughs) Suddenly, a shrill note sang into the night, and the women let go of one another's hands and raised them to the sky. Their belts loosened, their gowns slipped off, and Avelo feared they might hear his gasp as the women ran toward the river. Oh no, how did that happen? Oh no. Ivelo <laughs> <clears throat> quickly ran forward and grabbed one of the gowns. And when the Samodiva returned, there was one left alone, one without the power to vanish. Her eyes looked panicked, and Avelo's heart went out to her. I'm here, he said. I love you. I wish to marry you. <laughs> that is how Avelo and Marika, the Samodiva, came to marry. That is, wow. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when they returned to Avelo's house, he hid the gown away. And from that day on, he and his wife lived happily. Avelo forgot all about his caution and fears, and three years passed. One autumn day, three years after that day in the forest, Marika gave birth to a beautiful baby boy. The couple chose St. John to be the child's godfather, and they held a grand feast to celebrate the birth. At the feast, St. John asked Marika to dance. Avela was overjoyed at the idea of seeing his wife dance again, and he began to play upon his flute. Marika began to dance, but St. John shook his head. You're not dancing like the beautiful Samadiva, he said. What's wrong? Marika frowned. I cannot dance without my gown, she explained. St. John looked at Avelo. Give her the gown, he said, so that she may dance with joy. Certain that Marika would never leave him and their child, Avelo pulled the gown from its hiding place and gave it to his wife. The moment she put it on, she twirled in a pirouette such as no one had ever seen. With that, she turned to Avelo and said, I told you, a house does not suit a Samadiva. Goodbye. She disappeared forever, returning to the world of her sisters, the Samadivi. Not she fucking pieced out. <laughs> the, way you re- the way you read it, it sounded like she left a very curt voicemail. <laughs> I told you, bitch ass, this life was not for mm. me. Click. So yeah, this is actually really similar to the one I'm going to tell next, but it's also there's this uh, Scottish story uh, about the Selkie, which um, is generally translates to uh, about how you should take women's clothes so they can't leave you. Kind of similar, seal folk. <laughs> um, so the idea is wow. that there are these spirits, the water spirits, who uh, are take the form of seals. Um, and on full moons, they go onto shore and they take off their seal skins and they're like beautiful, like men and women, usually women. Um, and they're just like fucking getting down under the moonlight. Um, and legend says that if you pretty lights is playing in the background. Yeah. (laughs) So the legend says if you (laughs) steal the selkie skin, the seal skin, they, they can't go back to the water. Um, and a lot of times this ends up kind of ends in forced marriages, you know, like where the selkie has to stay with them and the, and the husband hides the skin so that. They'll never leave them. But if the Selkie ever gets the skin back, despite having like five children, she'll immediately go back to the water and disappear forever. Damn right. Almost so, like she didn't want to be in a life yeah, of servitude. It, pretty much, yeah. <sighs> but the, that, the one, but this one kind of reminded me of that. It's that idea that like there is something physical, uh, generally a garment that ties the spirit to this world if it is not complete almost. It's like that almost like the idea of, of uh 
a spirit, you know, if, if there's unresolved, something unresolved, uh, th- they'll stay in on life. Earth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, right. They'll stay here on Earth and they can't until they resolve it and almost kind of like come to terms with the things Unfinished in their life. business. Exactly, exactly. I'm very uh, ineloquent right now. <laughs> Uh, yeah, me too. No worries. Sorry, listeners. This is this is going to be a clunker. I yeah. can already tell. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> We're talking about sexy demon ladies, you know. Yep. A little mm. hot and bothered. <laughs> Cue the white snake. It's okay. I'm so eloquent. <laughs> I'd be eloquent. That's true. I'll be You're doing well. for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... As this tale tells us, Samadivi are not all bad. A Samadiva can fall in love with a human and they can even have children together, like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. These children can also grow up to be great heroes. Since the Samadivi are forest-dwelling creatures, they also have a wealth of knowledge for different cures and herbs. A Samadiva would never tell a human of what they know, though. So you must spy on one of their gatherings to get that information. The fucking perverts. <laughs> so, like... Just one more thing about them that I thought was really fucking weird, just like a quirky trait of theirs, is that the Samadivi observe Christian holidays, most of all Easter, despite being heathen beings. That is very interesting, Um, yeah. Well, there's a lot of religious (laughs) synchronism that went together with pagan religions so they could bring them on board more easily. Mm -hmm. They just kept tweaking Uh, the story so that it sounded better to them over time. And it also kind of well, sounds can... like there are these, like this, I don't know, like patriarchal group of men or Christian men from the story, I guess, if it's like that time period, who are marrying women from tribes where they have freedom and shit. And they're like, right. Oh, you just basically like it's kind of like they find out or they regain. They found out something about their spouse or they the, the, the woman regains some kind of power in the relationship. And then she's like, bye. <laughs> it's like, it would have been different, you know. She's like not gonna stay in that life and and have the and like you know feel like she has to stay in this marriage because of children or whatever because that's not her culture. She's just like, oh, Stella got her groove back and now she's leaving. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg was there and everything. Mm-mm. It's just it's just interesting because it's like, you know, they they make it like it's so terrible. The succubus would leave her children and. And, you know, that's right. part of what makes her terrible. And it just really sounds like she wasn't part of your culture. Yeah. Well, I mean, we could even, you know, go as far as to say, like, depending on interpretation, um, women living under like a super patriarchal culture might kind of somewhat secretly identify with that. Like that idea of like, man, just dropping this fucking shit life that like I may just have been forced into and and to liberate myself in that way like i you know i could see why witchy things are popular now yeah it's always yeah exactly yeah there's a certain freedom in not being tied to a i mean let's just be honest christianity it's a very patriarchal you know yeah uh, it's fact yeah dogma and, and you know just it's yeah i could i could see women secretly identifying with it even though it's yeah. considered like a like an unvirtuous entity within the mythology and folklore of a culture yeah i can see myself sitting there like would i sell my soul to the devil to get out of this marriage hmm (laughs) maybe it's possible (laughs) 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 well if you don't honor the holidays the christian holidays they'll kill you or make you go blind 
Oh yeah, which that, that sounds right. I thought was interesting. That's that's kind of addictive. That's one hell of a way but, to know. inspire a holiday. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Macy's so if you Day ever find Parade would be lit. <laughs> <laughs> So if you ever find yourself walking along in the forests of Bulgaria, maybe make it an Easter egg hunt for some San Mediva points. Nice. Or okay. maybe death by dancing for you. I mean, not the worst way to go, I guess. You know. I feel like I get along with um, all these bitches. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's all I have for San Mediva. Man, yeah, that's going to be really similar to this next one I tell. So this is the uh, Yukiona, uh, which is Japanese for snow woman. So... Ooh. Yeah, it's a good, actually, a really good one. So, She's a Yeti. I'm sexy, Anna. <laughs> I don't know why Yeti sound like that. She's a Bigfoot, isn't she, Gus? <laughs> so, the Yuki Ona is a female yokai. And yokai is just kind of a term, an umbrella term for like monsters, ghosts, creatures, really anything supernatural. So, she appears on snowy nights or in the middle of a snowstorm. She is said to have skin as white as snow, an ageless beauty, and long black hair and piercing eyes. She sometimes will Sounds talk. Some themes. Oh, yep. Uh, she sometimes will talk and charm her victims, and sometimes she's just more of a silent figure. <laughs> so, uh, specific names, beliefs, and narratives of the Yukiona uh, vary from region to region. In the Iwate and Miyagi prefectures in northeastern Japan, uh, it's said that if one ran into a Yukiona, your spirit would be drawn from your body. In parts of the Aomori, uh, Aomori, God damn it. In parts of the Aomori prefecture, I'm that's a Mori. Aomori. So, in parts of the Aomori prefecture, uh, she will ask you to hold her baby, which I guess you just kind of hold it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds terrifying. No, I, there's actually like a whole legend where if you hold the baby long enough or something, you get like strength. Uh, it's it, it's some weird legend. Hmm. Anyway, like a power not, up. Not not okay. important to our uh, topic here. So in other parts of the country, <laughs> don't squeeze babies for strength. Yeah, nope. <laughs> they are not uh, stress balls. Ah. Well, the other way they are. <laughs> we'll let you squeeze them though. Am I right? Am I right, parents? I don't know. We don't know. <laughs> nope. In other parts of the country, she appears on a set date. Elsewhere, her appearance is random and witnessed only by a particularly lucky or unlucky individual. But she generally is thought to prey on lost travelers and suck out their life force, uh, leaving them a frozen husk. So she is often... Exp <laughs> yeah, that's cold. Get it? Oh, uh, sorry. Oh. Um, <laughs> snow. So she is often... <laughs> snow. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know why that's so funny. I don't either. <laughs> so she's often explained as uh, the spirit of snow, um, as the ghost of a woman who died in the snow, or even some say she is a moon princess who was kicked out of the sky world and who descends dancing along the snow. Uh, like Sailor Moon? <laughs> Sailor Moon! Uh, hmm. But no, again, it's it's the connection with the moon uh, from yeah. the Sam Diva. Or Sam Devi. Yeah. So it's also said to be a type of goblin creature who does harm and says nothing. Or to only just frighten and make one cold. Uh, it's just sort of like a mischievous um, spirit. So the most well-known form of the Yuki Ona narrative was written down by Lafcadio Hearn in his 1904 book, Quedan. So he says that the story was told to him by a farmer from Chofu, or uh, Chofu 
in the Musashi province. And it was sort of like a legend around the village. So, quote, one night, two would have cut. One night, would have cut us. One night, two woodcutters were caught in a terrible snowstorm and took shelter in a hutch. (laughs) 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 With some (laughs) shitty rabbits. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I feel your pain so much, dude. I'm sorry. I know, it's fine. I I feel your pain. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. One night, Two woodcutters were caught in a terrible snowstorm and took shelter in a hut. The younger of the men, Minokichi, witnesses a beautiful woman in white, blowing white smoke in the face of his older companion, a cold breath that, he later discovers, takes the older man's life. The mysterious woman then stoops down to breathe on Minokichi's face, but he pulls back at the last second. She leaves him alive, but with a warning that she will kill him if he ever reveals what he saw that night. Oh my god, it's just like that story in fucking uh, um, Tales from the Dark Side. Yep, exactly. Yes. And you'll see this in a sec. Sweet. Yep. So the next, okay, cool. Yep. <laughs> so the next year, Minokichi meets a beautiful young woman. They are soon married and lead a happy and fruitful life together, replete with ten children. One night, however, Minokichi gazes at his wife and, lost in reverie, tells her of his encounter with the Yuki Ona so many years earlier. In that instant, the wife flies into a rage and cries, If not for those children to sleep there, I would kill you at this moment. And with that, she melts into a bright white mist that spired to the roof beams and shuddered away through the smoky hole. Damn. You promised! You promised! <laughs> yeah, when I, I read that, and um, I exactly what I thought. I was like, it's just sort of yeah. a retelling of that. So, right on Chong, man. Yeah, dude. <laughs> right on Chong, man. <laughs> represent <laughs> so the yuki ona uh can appear as just a human though there is something strange and otherworldly about her appearance uh depending on the region she is either a passive spirit or a malevolent one this figure seems to be not only a representation of the harshness of winter but also works as a cautionary tale which speaks on the dangers of being out in a snowstorm unprepared uh the consequences of a marriage with the supernatural or the consequences of breaking a promise one has made. Mm. Uh, Yukiona is alluring and frightening and comes out of a desolate, cold landscape where men are the most vulnerable. But honestly, they seem like the most reasonable fears, like set of fears for one of these succubus. Like, don't go out in a snowstorm, you idiot. Don't marry a ghost. I mean, and we could say a lot of this is stay out of these certain areas at a specific time. Right. You know, um, like yeah. we talked about in our first uh, episode about the St. Nazians, uh, we talked about uh, La Llorona. That could be seen as a cautionary tale to children to stay away from rivers and bodies of water at night, uh, you know, just out of fear of them drowning. Right. Yeah. And, you know, again, mm-hmm. with monsters are always the personification of humanity's fears, our yes. lack of understanding of things, or just sort of our own kind of insular cultural fears that really are universals, you know, human universals. So there is another related yokai called the Honeona, which is said to be the ghost of a young but notably ugly woman who died. <laughs> so she left a beautiful skeleton, Aww. though, even though her regular form was the ridicule of the town. And everyone remarked on the beauty of her skeleton. 
So the spirit. What? Yep. <laughs> Japan. <laughs> so the spirit, delighted that she was finally getting some recognition, walked around the town in her skeletal form to show off her new look. Wow. This <laughs> yep. is like the like fashion of the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, while we might have some difficulty conventionally calling the Yukiona a true to definition succubus, you know, we see these those traits and characteristics that um, various forms and interpretation share. Uh, most notably in this one, it's a marriage or a relationship with the supernatural. Uh, this, of course, will warp into a relationship or marriage with the devil or the forces of evil in a more Christianized sense. I had a similar book as a kid that was basically the same story, but she was a mermaid. And she told him never to follow her because she had to change back into a mermaid like every full moon. And then he follows her then she, you know, can't be a human anymore. Yeah. He's... Of course you do, girl. <laughs> See, these stories are like, stay out of my shit, you know? Mind your business. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I mean, you know, control is like one of the major themes that we see too. Yeah. Um, either whether that's taking back control, not being able to keep control, or just nobody having any control over their fate. Right. So yeah, that's what I got for the Yuki Ona. That was cool. I like that one. Yeah, it's a cool one. Right on Chong, man. Right on Chong, man. Yeah. Great movie. <laughs> Hashtag that. Uh, my last one is uh, La Patasola. It's a South American folklore creature Aww. of the night. Creature of the night. Patis- creature of the night. <laughs> creature of the night. <laughs> <laughs> La Patasola, translating to one foot, is a femme fatale of South American folklore. She appears to male hunters or loggers when they walk alone in the jungle, with women on the brain. For some reason, they have to be specifically walking through the jungle thinking about women. The lustful, dirty thoughts. <laughs> you know what I got on my mind? <laughs> Malaria and women. <laughs> 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 Jaguars creeping in the bushes are the only type of pussy on my mind. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Chris looks uncomfortable. Uh, I, was, I was just thinking, like, a guy walks up and he's like, Oh, my penis was horribly mauled when I tried to fuck this leopard. <laughs> <laughs> That's my mind. The British in the jungle. <laughs> uh, but of course. <laughs> oh, yes, that, that, that will happen. Like our other succubi, La Patasola always initially looks like a beautiful and seductive woman, which can sometimes resemble someone they know in life. She will then lure the man away, where she reveals her true shocking form. A one-legged, one-breasted, bulging-eyed, fanged, hooked-nosed, big-lipped, tangled-haired beast with a hunger for human with a hunger for human flesh and a thirst for drinking warm blood using her cat-like fangs. It Same. was the one-legged, one-breasted, bulging-eyed purple Sure looks strange to me. <laughs> her single leg ends in a cow-like hoof that moves flexibly. Although this would seem like she would move clumsily or slowly through the jungle, quite the opposite is true. She moves easily and quickly through the jungle's treacherous terrain and treetops. So she's Can you just, just imagine. 
She's just biologically evolved to like get around the jungle better. Just hoofing it through the trees. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on a pogo. That just sounds like genetics. That's true. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Charles Darwin never wrote about that. A leg up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God, is this dad joke series? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, there's a lot more where that came from. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry to our younger listeners. This must be cringeworthy. Oh yeah. Goodness gracious. Who doesn't like puns? So uh, La Patisola is a guardian of her land. She protects the animals and plants that live there and is hostile towards the humans that enter her domain with destructive intent. She will stop at nothing, causing landslides to block paths and changing the lay of the land to confuse hunters. She can cast spells on hunting dogs to confuse them as well and can curse the hunt altogether. So she's magical too, guys. Fucking magic chicks everywhere. I know she's she she's like shifting the land and and everything that I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, Man, that must like be a so house. scary to them. Just a yeah crazy. I know bitch in the forest who makes them all horny and shit, and then they get all turned around. So I wonder if um, the idea of her being able to like actually manipulate the earth and elements and stuff. I mean, I wonder if that's sort of a shoot off of a um, like a like a. I don't know, some sort of like goddess or maybe, you know, spirit. Because yeah, it, it makes be. me kind of think of like earthquakes and stuff. Like, uh, you know, it's it's just right. that sort of, you know, obviously when we talk about like ancient beliefs, it's always this lack of understanding of like the natural world a lot of times, not all the time, but it's usually attaching like a spirit or some sort of like divine entity that can manipulate the outside world, you know, like the world around you. So I wonder if it's sort of like right. a... um a variation on that. Yeah, it seems like the oldest goddesses do rep- like the oldest uh, deities represent Earth are female. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it, it also could be as simple as like you know, you go into the jungle; it's very easy to get turned around and lost too. Mm-hmm. So maybe so you got to find a woman to blame. Because <laughs> I'm not asking for directions. <laughs> it's super easy to get lost in there. Like, you be careful. Watch where you're going. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's um yeah, it's figures that um like it's like any folklore, I guess, or or even urban legends. It's yeah. it's a cautionary tale um that you know, uses uses actual characters to get the point across. Right. I don't think I needed to explain that. I don't know why I did. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's what we're here for, man. Yeah. <laughs> Got to overexplain shit. Yep. <laughs> we live in a world where you have to really over-explain things now. Though. All right. Let me pod-splain to you, all right? <laughs> well, well, you know, I mean, people I like might that. be partaking and they might have forgotten, you know? That's very true. Yep. Mm-hmm. That was me a few years ago. I've been like, what am I listening to again? Oh, yeah. Uh, what are we talking about? <laughs> so, anyway, love you guys, stoners. All the stoners out there, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing against you. <laughs> one love. One. <laughs> <laughs> the official one love together. song. <laughs> <laughs> so La Sola's origin has few has a few iterations. The first version is she was a cruel seductress who was not kind to men or women alike. For her punishment, her leg was chopped off with an axe and thrown into a fire. This mutilation killed her, and now she haunts the mountains and forests. Another version is that she was a mother who killed her own son and was then cast out to the jungle for her sins. The third version is this, as told by a Colombian immigrant. 
The single-footed woman was beautiful and she cheated on her husband, so he cut her leg off. She escaped into the jungle and swore revenge against all men. She appears in the nighttime, singing with a celestial timber that captivates men, old and young alike. Sometimes she screams for help so they come to save her. That's when she traps them. She sucks out their blood and she heads back into the jungle to hide. She traps men and they disappear. Uh, wow. Wow. <laughs> it wasn't like leaving for a pack we, of cigarettes and never coming back. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Getting your flesh and blood sucked out, as you do. Yep. As you do. As we can see from this account, La Patasola's myth is very, still very much alive. Her story is told to wives by their husbands as a cautionary tale to remind them to be faithful. And ob- <laughs> This is ancient Lorena Bobbitt. <laughs> <laughs> Her story is told to wives by their husbands as a cautionary tale to remind them to be faithful and obedient. As Ashley Cowie puts it in her article on the subject, establishing and policing appropriate sexual behavior is considered an important part of maintaining a well-ordered society, which ultimately rests on well-ordered families. Obviously, this notion could easily tip to the toxic side, creating an inequality amongst the roles and freedoms of the matriarch and the patriarch of the family. Oh, that could never On the other hand, this tale could also serve as a reminder to men to think with their heads and not their dicks, lest the guilt and shame consume them. (laughs) And if he isn't careful, La Patasola may very well literally consume him, flesh and blood. Ah, shit. Mm. <laughs> yeah, actually, you know, and that's one that I. Uh, she I, got you know, the hot I, dog buns ready. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we forgot to mention, <laughs> or I forgot to mention that um, another theme is this. Um, well, not really a theme. It's you know, again, sometimes these figures are used to justify things, um, and right. even going back to really ancient times, uh, you have these spirits or demons that. Um, were like you said used to kind of scare men into uh loyalty you know into into not cheating on their wives or stepping out at night you know and sometimes it was also used as an excuse to do so you know yes so like you said (laughs) it can be kind of turned either way just into something toxic yeah mm -hmm. yeah that's a cool one man that's a (laughs) fucking crazy yeah i just love the visual of her um i mean there's a bunch of um art depictions and statues in her image so we'll post some of those they're really cool nice yeah yeah all the art's yeah. really cool except for some of this like kind of <laughs> as i was looking for you know different succubi and stuff i'd you see like this fantasy art and it's just not oh yeah yeah i look oh, forward to exactly you where you're going with that cosplay tiktok <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh jesus it's like a lot of fucking pastels and like rainbow colors swirling around yeah and just <laughs> huge tits <laughs> oh yeah definitely <laughs> uh, so yeah that was a that's ghost. all i have for you for her yeah yeah that's a cool one um all these you know it's funny all these are just gonna be so similar to each other you know even though right. they, even though they're kind of disconnected through time and geography so the next one i have yeah. is the uh bavon sheath uh this, this is from scottish folklore in the Highlands of Scotland. Oi, in the Highlands of Scotland. I'm just kidding. That was more Irish. Oh, I... <laughs> in the Highlands of Scotland. Yeah, yeah. Oh, better? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so, in the Highlands of Scotland. <laughs> so, there were stories of the uh, Bevon Sheath. And there were a lot of pronunciations, so I just kind of went with one. 
So this female entity is often said to dwell on roads, mountain passes, the edge of forests, uh, near bogs and peats, uh, really anywhere there's a liminal space. Um, And they are said to be beautifully tall and pale forms wearing long dresses. Some versions of the stories say that the dresses hide their feet, which are really cloven hooves. (laughs) 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 And that's why we're supposed to wear skirts that cover our ankles. Mm -hmm. It's not for (laughs) propriety's sake. It's because you're fucking cloven feet. Yeah. If the men see our feet, they turn (laughs) to hooves. (laughs) I can't have sex with that. But they did. (laughs) So they lure men at twilight or at night, um, usually shepherds looking for their sheep or lost journeymen and hunters. So they lure them with their beauty and uh, invite them to come dance with them in the moonlight. Hey, hey, you tired of fucking sheep? (laughs) Want me to read your tarot card? (laughs) (laughs) You look like a Virgo. What's up? So they entice and enchant the men. They entice and enchant the men to dance with them and wait until the men are exhausted from the continuous dancing. What were they wearing? Um, just like flowy dresses. No, I mean the men. Oh, the men? What were they wearing? Seems like they're out in the middle of nowhere without their wives. Yeah. Just saying, it seems like they're asking for it. Yeah, right. <laughs> so when they are sufficiently weakened, uh, the Bavon sheath gets really close to them and then with her long razor-like nails slits or punctures the throat and drinks the victim dry of blood. Nice. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was listening to a, a, just a mythology podcast about different stories and one of them was about this native woman who avenged her husband's death by going after the guy who killed him and she like basically bit him on the neck and strangled him to death until he died. Woo! I just feel like nice. she deserves a shout out. <laughs> Go on. Yeah, she oh, does. You're totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> I love her form. <laughs> Same. So other versions, <laughs> other versions of the uh, Bavon Sheath describes her skeletal with uh, her flowing dress hugging the bony form. So again, we see this like skeletal form kind of come into the mix as well. Gorgeous skeleton. Yeah, gorgeous skeleton. That's the so hottest pretty. skeleton I've ever seen. <laughs> it's so thin. Oh my and god! Pale. Have you lost weight? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I just got some Junji Ito comics uh, recently, so it's really giving me some vibes on that. Oh yeah. <laughs> what what <laughs> are what, what is that? Junji Ito. No, it's a Japanese horror comic book writer. <gasps> oh, I'm gonna okay. We'll talk about this later, but he's yeah. amazing. Okay. <laughs> um. She might have vampire-like teeth or just hide in those liminal areas, waiting in the dark to attack. Uh, Or she might appear at the door of a hut or where a shepherd might be lodging that night, and she'll take the form of a loved one, again, making her uh, (laughs) ship-shifter. Ship-shifter? Making her a (laughs) shape-shifter as well. (laughs) I like the first one. Oh, thanks. Ship-shifter. Yeah, so... Bring in the accent tonight. (laughs) So they wait until uh, they are invited in and then attack. And so from this one, we also see the beginning, you know, what we consider like Victorian kind of vampire characteristics. Sure. And they say that one can protect themselves in two ways, uh, by carrying a piece of iron, which repels the uh, Bay of Ansheath, or to be fortunate enough to be riding a horse, as the entity is said to fear horses. So what hmm. about an iron horse? Damn. <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude. Blair and Iron Maiden. She'll just die yeah. on the spot. Yeah, right. <laughs> Her head will explode from the rock. 
<laughs> so it's so it's difficult to know how far back the Bavon sheath uh, goes in the legends and folklore of Scotland. It often has a Christianized undertone, uh, even going as far as to say that one must have a strong Presbyterian belief to protect <laughs> oneself from the attack. Um, and some believe that this figure might be a Christianized revision of a pagan deity, uh, which was a really common practice um, yeah. when you know the British Isles started becoming Christianized. Uh, the Bavon sheath is sometimes associated with the fairy folk or the people of the mounds, um, another liminal place where the spiritual and human world kind of overlap. It's it, these mounds where they have supernatural pro <laughs> these mounds which have supernatural properties. Yeah, and a lot of them mounds. Like yeah, some are graves. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, they come from what is sometimes referred to as the other world, uh, which is where basically all magical and supernatural beings dwell. Um, you know, and they wow. kind of cross in between our two worlds. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, all these beliefs go back to like ancient Celtic um, beliefs. Sure. That seems like we, we, you know, kept a few about, um, you know, like a cemetery being a liminal space. Yeah. Well, and it was like you uh, you mentioned earlier where- that really doesn't hold for Christian dogma. We got that from somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. Well, and it was also like you were saying earlier where- um, you'll see a lot of like, I guess we would say like pagan beliefs, um, you Some know, revisionist. History yeah. Being repackaged on. into in, in a, in a Christianized uh, form to make it more easily digestible to the people that you're basically conquering. Yeah. They couldn't get rid of the Easter rabbit. So they just made him chocolate. That's good. I'd be a good decision, but what <laughs> yeah. are the better decisions? <laughs> I support it. So yeah, I support that. Totally. Can the can the uh, communion wafers be chocolate too? Ah, uh, no, there is a fucking no. idea. They yeah, have to right? taste like Christ, and he was definitely a cracker. Uh, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh damn! <laughs> the Father, the Son, and the Ewan McGregor. <laughs> <laughs> so there are a few different stories uh, that are popular concerning the Bavon Sheath, but here's just one of them, one of the more famous ones. Three hunters were out on the hills one night after an unsuccessful day of finding game. They decided to try again the next day and found a hut to stay the night in. They settled into the dark hut, lit a fire, and cooked what food they had with them, and they drank a little to warm their bones. Scottish Ooh. alcoholics. Oh, racist. <laughs> so one of the men even pulled out his harp and began playing a tune. Another hunter looked across the fire and stated that he wished that his lass back home was with them to help pass this lonely evening. The other two men agreed, wishing they too had their loved ones there with them. Just then, there was a pounding on the door of the hut, and the fire shrank, emitting a low, dull light. When they opened the door, there stood three women. Though the light was low and the smoke from the fire swirled around the hut, they saw that the, woman had the, the women had the faces of their lovers. I've seen this movie. A guy with a chainsaw arm is about to show up. <laughs> <laughs> Dead by dawn. <laughs> so they welcomed their lasses in and all sat around the fire to warm themselves. As the hunter with the harp laid back and watched his companions embrace their loved ones, he noticed that their faces began to swirl and change slightly as the women pressed their faces to their lovers' chests. He then felt something warm and wet soak into his trousers. And he looked down <laughs> and looked down to notice that it was blood that was trickling down from across the fire. He looked up and saw Ooh. the feet of the women had turned into cloven hooves. Knowing that these were not their women <laughs> and that they were not even human, 
He sprang up and he ran Not out. Not my woman. Yeah. <laughs> she's got she's got bird feet. <laughs> Mine has the bottom half of a kangaroo. Yeah. <laughs> so he sprang up and he ran out of the hut screaming. And just left his fucking friends. Oh, dickhead. Yeah. Again, Fuck I've seen this. this movie. Yep. So he ran and he ran until he came to the door of another cottage. They let him inside and he was obviously exhausted and babbling. The next morning, after the hunter had told his hosts of the last night's events, they gathered some men and went into the woods to see what became of the other two men. When they arrived at the hut, they opened the door to stale smoke and the smell of blood. The two hunters were badly mangled and drained of all their blood. Their dried, mutilated husks were lumped together by the fire. No one said a word. But everyone there knew it was the Bavon Sheath. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> See, that guy murdered his friends. Yeah, right. I don't know. It was ghosts. Totally. It was ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> it was women with cloven feet. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, again, man, it's like we see all these similarities. You know, it's just, it's all these recycled right. tropes um, mm-hmm. and motifs. And um, yeah, it, it's very, it's just really interesting. It's, you know, I think with a lot of these creature features, what we hope to do is really kind of show the universality. I don't know if that's a word. These universal human conditions, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that we, uh, conditions and fears and, you know, things that we personify through our cultural tales. Yeah. Right. We are super similar yeah. worldwide. A lot of our stories overlap on things we think. Give peace a chance. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we'll do the last one. And this will be the farthest back in history that we know of these, like our, our first references of these kind of uh, entities. So these are, this is going to be the different succubi uh, from Middle Eastern mythology. Uh, how long ago? Um, well, I'll get to that in a second. Oh, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> Totally good. (laughs) (laughs) So um, concerning these Middle Eastern succubi and female demons, much of what I read tries to tie them to the story of Lilith, Adam's first wife. So if you don't know the story, um, Lilith wanted to be an equal to Adam, uh, not merely a subservient partner to him. And after God is like, no dice, she runs away from the Garden of Eden. Uh, Three angels try to stop her, but she still refuses to go back. So she enters into a relationship with the uh, archangel turned demon, uh, Samael. I guess that might be right. Yeah. Samael. Samael. Um, Samael. And they end up having children that are kind of this brood of demons and evil spirits uh, that then go out and plague the world of men. You know, and brood. succubi and, and vampires and stuff, um, are you know, like creatures are said to come from uh, Lilith's offspring. Yeah. I'm uh, getting visions of Night on Bald Mountain for sure. <laughs> so it's like little, little demons dancing around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was a fucking party. Yeah. There is very little evidence that I've found that ties these demons to the Lilith myth. In fact, the Lilith narrative is very confusing when you try to trace it and does not even show up in this narrative form until the early Middle Ages. You know, we're talking like 6th, 7th century AD at best. But what is more likely is that Lilith in this Ptolemaic form is actually influenced by more ancient entities. So according to the article Lilith by Raphael Patai, which was published in the Journal of American Folklore, the earliest mention of a she-demon uh, that has a, has any name that resembles Lilith at all is found in the ancient text about the god King Gilgamesh from around, let's say, 
2000 to 2400 BCE. Lilu uh, was one of the four demons that were in this sort of vampiric succubi classification. And Gilgamesh kind of interacts with him in those early stories. So, I mean, this goes back to like ancient, ancient times as far as like what we think of like big civilizations or I guess at least Middle Eastern civilizations. Yeah, there's a big battle who wrote first, Sumeria or Egypt. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's yeah. Egypt, but they were like right alongside. Yeah, it uh, even may have just been, you know, happening, uh, you know, simultaneously. Yeah. So another ancient reference to a succubus or vampire um, was found on a gypsum tablet at the ancient Assyrian town of Hatatu. I hope I did that right. Uh, which is a modern day, which is in modern day Upper Syria. So the tablet is thought to go back to the seventh century BC. Um, you know, give or take a century. And in inscribed on it is an incantation against night demons. And it was originally thought that this incantation uh, was to help with childbirth, but the presence of the Aramaic name Afata, which refers to an ancient she-demon that kind of flies around at night, makes it seem more likely that it was um, to help uh, protect from these demons. The, yeah, they're also called she-stranglers or night shadows. Um, <laughs> yeah, because they're often talked about coming in the form of shadows. <laughs> night shadow. Yeah. I love she-strangler, though. <laughs> she-strangler. It's like a death clock song Fuck. and a half. Yeah. <laughs> she-stranglers. It's a love song. <laughs> so they were thought to be spirits of the dead that had... Um, well, one way I saw it put was had not decomposed in a normal way, or I guess had kind of died in an accident. I mean, the idea that the souls were never put to rest in the proper rituals, really. Um, okay. So this would force the spirit to be tied to the world of the living, and they would wander the night looking to drain the blood or life force of an unsuspecting human. Another version I read said that they also feasted on the life force of newborns, kind of hence that confusion with the childbirthing incantation, um, you know, which is sort of these like, Similar similar words and phrases that's hard to kind of decipher. Sometimes we're talking about ancient texts. This describes one Arabic demon called the uh, Karina, uh, which is also called the Strangler of the Lamb. And these kind of strangling, oh, yeah, well. a lot of strangling. <laughs> I'd like to unpack a little symbology for you at the end of this. Oh yeah, please, please do. Um, you know, these kinds of spirits and demons have roots in Canaanite, Akkadian, Assyrian, and Sumerian lore, um, and that's just to name a few. So I mean, it's how far back it really goes is really hard to tell. I mean, it, it could be back going far back as, you know, four or 5,000 BC. Wow. Right. Yeah. So there's another one called the Al-Basti, uh, which is a Sumerian demon that takes kind of different forms throughout history and geography, as all things do. In ancient Sumeria, it was believed to be a female demon that was really more of a pain in the ass than dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she would visit and terrorize, you know, people who had a lot of guilt or those who were not punished for a crime, and she would kind of terrorize them in their sleep. And a later Turkish variation stated the Albasti would steal a victim's horse and ride it really hard all night, and then the horse would show up the next morning exhausted and unable to do the work the next day. <laughs> so just kind of a pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> ha, ha, your horse is tired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, Fuck you. Yeah. And some of the more sexual female demons are described as causing young men to think impure thoughts and, quote, defile themselves in the night, unquote. Yep. So I didn't want to come in the night. She made yeah, me come in the night. dirty women. <laughs> so it's said that if one had sex with one of these night monsters, um, they would be drained of all their vitality the next day. 
So it's just another excuse for like, oh, I'm just so, you know, it's, I don't know. It's this, it seems like this like safeguarding and justification of like kind of this toxic masculinity, you know, yeah. like I can't be weak. I'm a man, damn it. It's some demon made me <laughs> weak today. Yeah. 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 So. Ooh, this, this incantation yeah. looks intense. Yep. I am actually going to read an incantation. Uh, the one that was found on the <laughs> on the gypsum tablet. Um, and this is to help keep away the Afata. Um, and I only picked a couple parts because it's a little longer, but this is the general gist of it. And, oh, God, these names. Okay. Quote. Incantation for the Afata demons. The curse of Sam Sedapardish. Take up the curse, and to the she-stranglers say, the house which I enter, ye shall not enter, and the court which I tread, ye shall not tread. Thou hast concluded for us a covenant of eternity, which thou hast concluded with us. And so every divine being and chief and officer, all but holy ones, <laughs> with the curse by heaven and earth above the curse of Baal, below the earth with a curse. God, it's, it's really weird. Anyway, so the, next part, the next part is spoken by the conjurer to the demons. <laughs> to the Fata demons in the chamber of darkness, Go away, terror, my <laughs> nightly terror. Go away. I, I picture this song. To the Fata demons in the temple of darkness. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a Klingon opera. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely what you want to hear when you're trying to go to sleep. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, th that's some of the, um, those are some of the earliest known uh, references, like uh, written down references that we know of, of these kind of demons. And you'll really notice how it's, they're very vague. And vampires were also kind of the same. They weren't these sort of like, you know, uh, Victorian gentlemanly, you know, mistress style entities. You know, they were a lot of times just sort of spirits um, and they didn't really have any tangible form most of the time. So that's, I, I find that very interesting, you know, um, yeah. you, you know, it's, it's, they kind of are these blank tablets that you can kind of manipulate and, and kind of turn into any culture could adapt and kind of turn into their own version. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, it's uh, like, I, I, I got a lot of uh, like just archeological things to say about it really um so what what really struck me when you said uh she was the strangler of the lamb mm -hmm. um it's kind of funny but like in what would have started out as jewish folklore and later became the old testament uh basically says that you know like a, a, a sacrifice will be made for for your sins, which was which came about as Jesus. So if she is the strangler of the lamb, they're basically saying that, um, you know, being in connection with the, with this type of woman um, will keep you from salvation. Yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah it's the the tainting of one's um, purity. Yeah, and uh, it's funny that they have cloven hooves. Uh, uh, Jews and Muslims don't eat things with cloven hooves. It's basically says in their in their holy scripture that those things aren't uh, aren't clean to eat mm -hmm. so that's also interesting um there's one more that got me oh uh without getting into the debate about how widespread the quote-unquote goddess cults were a lot of these more ancient societies were were run by women or very egalitarian which the ancient um 
like Jewish sect of, I guess you call them Canaanites because they took their God, didn't like that at all. Mm. And they like the God of the Hebrews and, you know, Christians and everything today had a wife in antiquity and they basically just erased her to make their religion super patriarchal, which which they wanted. Like it was a part of, um, like you're saying, like it's it's kind of a wrap of toxic masculinity into religion to be like, no, we're in charge and you will do as I say. Yeah, it's it's justifying- In any, the name of God. Justifying any sort of vulnerability or weakness in, in the male condition. Yeah, yeah. That's so generally what it seems like. It's also, but I mean, on the other side too, I mean, incubus are kind of the same. Uh, it's, you know, these beings that- make women impure make them sexual deviants you know it, it's 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 just sort of like this passing around of blame yeah it's passing the buck all the fucking time dude you're all a bunch <clears throat> of sluts deal with it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean you know we see from these very early versions of the succubus that you know obviously they're very vampiric in many ways and many could make the argument that some of the later succubus we have encountered are more vampires than spirits. My takeaway from all this is that they were, you know, synonymous at one time. And then as things kind of evolved and these terms became more refined through different literary treatments, you know, now we have this more split and definitive definitions of a vampire and a succubus. But I think you can really tell, especially when we look really far back, that they, like, you know, like I said, were um, one and the same thing most of the time. Very similar. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I don't think it's any coincidence that we get characteristics of vampires that conform to succubi-like tendencies and vice versa. You know, the most important parts being, you know, the nighttime, uh, ideas of sexuality and sexuality being dangerous and a communion with the unholy or supernatural. Um, also, you know, obviously the draining of human essence, um, like blood or energy or life force. I mean, these are, those are really mm-hmm. the core of what we see throughout time and geography. Yeah, it seems like vampires, succubus or whatever, were women up until the time that people thought they were cool and then they became male. Yep. <laughs> yep. Am I wrong? <laughs> Am I wrong? Am I wrong? I know I'm asking. <laughs> no, I, I know. I think that... like, you know, you talk about all these ancient vampires are all like female and then you get up into when people started thinking vampires were cool and shit and then you have Dracula. Well, but you also have um, Camilla as one of the most famous vampire stories. And one, I think and that one of the oldest. Dracula. Yep. Ooh. Yeah, that one and Varney the Vampire. Yes. And then in the 1960s, like, all those exploitation vampire movies were, like, all women fucking vampires for the most part. And there's there's a shit ton of them. Oh, yeah. They're highly entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, you know, and that's, I don't think it's any coincidence either you know that we see a lot of these things wrapped up into probably the most famous vampire narrative which is you know obviously dracula um and he yeah. did his homework you know he he pulled from a lot of different things and influences and you really kind of see For it sure. in his you know treatment of the figures you know it's um there weren't a lot of these tropes vampire tropes that we see until you know bram stoker um wrote That's dracula right. yeah they were just together. They, they were different things, you know. Before um, he kind of solidified it into the this Beatles modern of interpretation. Lore. Yeah. Well, we also see right, like definitely. the gentlemanly vampire, the aristocratic vampire. Yeah. Um, the reason I'm asking mm-hmm. is because it seems like right around that time period, it became like a 
kind of like a bougie vampire thing, you know? Yeah, exactly. They're not just whores who run wild in the woods. It's like, ooh, we were rich right. and powerful. Yeah, and, yeah, and it's undead now. You know, it's that cultural treatment of old legends, myths, and folklore. You know, it's um, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. It's really cool to kind of see the you know to kind of look at that evolution and see it and see how like again, you know we're all kind of very much the same in how we experience life. We just do it in different ways. You know what I mean? But we all, all kind of have these right. core fears and beliefs that we can very easily trace when we compare and contrast um, our myths and legends and folklore. Yeah. I wonder if in a different time, um, whatever is ha- like the spooky things that go on at somewhere like um, skin, skinwalker ranch, skinwalker ranch mm-hmm. uh, would be, considered would have more stories like that you know because they're be like the beings that they describe are pretty fucking scary yeah but that a, kind of yeah, a lot like of them Navajo message lore, didn't right? yeah yeah there's a, Navajo, yeah, yeah i think they mentioned um in a couple of the podcasts that we listen to and that documentary that's on netflix about skinwalker Ranch, i didn't get to see it they yet. mentioned a few tribes that all had stories about the same thing yeah mm-hmm. but yeah i know navajo that's all I've ever heard of it as. Yeah, that's a Navajo. I mean, but you also have like um, the orbs, you know, which is, um, I mean, people talk about seeing orb-like entities um, yeah. or phenomena, you know, through history and, and all over the world. So that's always, it's, you know, and you see a lot of that present. Yeah, um, I've heard people like people in witchy circles talk about orbs as familiars and energies and spirits and mm-hmm. things to be called and whatnot. <laughs> Yeah. All um, depends on who's looking at it. That's as I'm saying, like a different set of people looking at the same story may have been like, oh no, there's vampires here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. and, you know, and I hope to uh, in the future do an episode. Um, there's this really great book, uh, Vampires Burial and Death by, I think it's Paul Barber. Um, but he takes a more anthropological um, approach to like vampires and vampire lore. Um, he gets like primary source accounts from these people who went and visited these sort of rural or tribal areas and kind of wrote down like how they dealt with death and sometimes like uncommon kinds of death or like a lack of understanding of how death decomposition and certain kinds of burials will affect the body. Um, So they kind of have like these mythologies and lores and these kind of become the original um, roots of like what we know as modern day vampire tropes and motifs. Um, it's, I, I hope to do it. I just want to kind of read some of them instead of like going super into mm-hmm. it. Um, but we'll be save that for another episode. So, yep. Nice. So cool. I guess, in, yeah. So I guess in closing, um, there is such a long list of different tribal and cultural versions of these two entities that it, it really boggles the mind when you try to look at all the little ones that have, you know, some have kind of gone and faded and some that are kind of emerging already, um, in our more modern mm-hmm. times. And, you know, and it's hard to know how many uh, reincarnations of forms and traits these figures have gone through since humans were able to conjure them from their imaginations and fears. You know, things like fears of the dark, nightmares, a lack of understanding of death, or, you know, the fear of not being pure enough to gain um, your God's favor. And as long as we have fears, monsters will never die. Because in the end, in like any good monster theorist knows... Uh, the monster never truly dies. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. You were waiting all night Very to nice. drop that line, weren't you? Hell yeah, dude. 
<laughs> yeah, no, actually, if you never if you've never read anything about monster theory, which is actually a discipline of of English in literature, um, literary studies. Um, Big part of anthropology, too. Yeah. There's, so there's actually something called the seven theses of monster theory, and it kind of lays out these um, basically these kind of universals in monster narratives and characters. Um, and there's these like almost kind of they're like kind of rules. Um, and one of them kind of is that the monster never truly dies. You know, like you you may slay that particular beast or creature, but it's always has the possibility to be lurking in the shadows. You know, you, it never truly dies. Even if you kill it, it's going to live with your community and culture. That's right. For for decades. Yeah. Always re-evolving. Stories. Like now there's that crazy yeah. online snake god thing. Yeah. And yeah. that's really interesting <laughs> to watch are these new manifestations of like lore or the ones that are being invented and seeing it implemented with our kind of digital age is really fascinating to watch. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> Truly. So plugs. Woo. So, yeah. I hope everybody really enjoyed this episode. I was it was a challenging but fun one to research. Yeah, it definitely was. And I'm I'm so sorry. I felt like I was clunking along. So thank you for sticking with it. Oh uh, no, it's okay. Woo. We had a Man. we had a couple little uh little little oopsie poopsies. Before we got to this recording oh, session, yeah. so hopefully it's all good. We did, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's you know, just uh, you know, Kate, Kate, uh, kind oh, of last mean, minute like, couldn't stuff. couldn't show up, so yeah, gotcha, yeah gotcha. it's uh, yeah, yeah, life happens, man. So anyway, yeah, and it's plugs. quarantine episode too, and those are always challenging. Yeah, yeah, we're the really <laughs> we're not allowed to talk to people. Here's a show. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's exactly how my show's going as well. I was like, here's another episode with me and Chris. <laughs> <laughs> oh, everybody I'm sure said, hope, hope they're not tired of me <laughs> no <laughs> never I like it so um, you can find <laughs> us on Instagram at under pendulum podcast on Twitter at pendulum underscore pod on Facebook at under the pendulum podcast and you can find all of our shows on Podbean Spotify Apple Podcast SoundCloud and we'll probably be adding more podcatchers and you can find me, Christopher Weber, on Facebook by typing in my name. <laughs> and find me at uh, Christopher Weber 13 v on Instagram. And that's all you fuckers get. That's a lot. All right. I could find you. <laughs> all right. Well, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash greatpimpin. On Instagram at <laughs> h.n.thomas. And Twitter at Heather W. Thomas. And also you can find links of some of my spooky narrations on all those accounts. So if you're not sick of hearing me uh, talk on this podcast, you can listen to me tell horror stories on others. Yeah, dude. uh, The one with the um, trolls or the little. Yeah, that was good. That got me. Shit. Little men with knives. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, great. Tales to terrify. Yeah, definitely check that out. Thank you. I really like that. That was Definitely, like, just, like, the whole time got creepy crawly feelings. And, Emily, (laughs) I think you have a show. Do I? Some, okay, for some reason, Chris let me have a show. It's called Everyday Lies. (laughs) You can find us at, on Instagram, at Everyday Lies. And you can find us on Facebook at Everyday Lies Podcast. Uh, You can find us on YouTube, Tumblr, Gmail, all the things. Basically, Everyday Lies or Everyday Lies Pod or Podcast. 
And you can find me elsewhere. I'm not going to give out my personal stuff, but love you guys. That's <laughs> <laughs> how they control you. Uh, we've uh, Chris That's been right. on a few episodes. So if you like what a weird goofball he is, please come join us on my show. <laughs> yeah, she does a, a, a new episode that's coming out. It's about uh, spiders. Spatties. Ooh. Yeah, it's, cool. it's, it's a very cool one. Very, a little very good less one. political, just kind of fun. <laughs> and I, I need those sometimes. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us, everybody. I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. And um, definitely check us out and like us online. Uh, we could always use the support and would always graciously appreciate any uh, feedback or anything. If you want us to cover a subject, don't feel um, like you can't reach out to us and ask. Uh, and we'll give it our under the pendulum treatment. And we make great, That's great uh, virtual babysitters. Just turn on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let us teach your it's children. Appropriate. It's very appropriate for children. Both shows. <laughs> well, thank you for listening, and uh, we will see you next time. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.